You're listening to Field Notes in Philanthropy. I'm Patrick Center. I'm Tori Martin. I'm Matthew Downey. Philanthropy and policymaking came head-to-head in national conversations this winter during the tax overhaul debates. From March 12th through the 14th, U.S. foundations will be back in Washington meeting with lawmakers to advocate on behalf of the sector during an annual event called Foundations on the Hill. Why do I see a lot of lawmakers staring? And eating a lot of chicken lunches. and Yes, it's all catered. <laughs> anyway, they're going to be continuing conversations around the charitable tax deduction, the Johnson Amendment, and how excise taxes impact philanthropic organizations. But that's not all they're going to be talking about. Foundations on the Hill will also be an opportunity to discuss whether and how philanthropy can play a role in ensuring that the 2020 census count is accurate and inclusive. And the Johnson Amendment itself, a piece of the tax code that was originally proposed by Senator Lyndon Baines Johnson in 1954, and which prohibits 501c3 organizations from expressing support or opposition to political candidates, raises a number of questions about how nonprofits can engage in advocacy and even whether they should, which begs the question for us, how are foundations? And there are many, many different kinds of foundations engaging in advocacy and affecting policy in our country. Matthew. It's complicated. All of our topics are complicated. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I always come back to a question that, you know, they they always ask in interviews when you're interviewing in this sector, which is, you know, what draws you to philanthropy? And for me, I have always loved the concept that if you have the money, you can do what you want for the most part. You know, you can accomplish something if you have millions or billions of dollars. You can't accomplish something if you have $100 or if you have $10, depending on what it is that you want to accomplish. But you get into trouble when what you want to accomplish is a law, is a policy. That's where things get difficult. It's one thing to clean up the park down the street. It's another to put a millage in place to support parks on an annual basis from taxpayer dollars. Generosity is normally not a part of that policymaking process. Well, you know, I think people would probably argue with you one way or the other, depending on what policy they're talking about. But yeah. I think, but is it what you wanted to accomplish, right? So you can have all the money, but did you get out of the process what you thought you were going to get or what you desired to get is, a, I think, is an issue at play, too. And understanding how to impact change matters. And I think that's part of the conversation that we have today, right? Yeah, absolutely. How you want to impact change and what you can do. I think it's it's part of this ongoing conversation for us around just gaining a greater understanding of what philanthropy can do, should do, is doing, wants to do in the future. You know, lots of conversation around the Johnson Amendment. You cannot back or oppose political candidates. But what can you do in a political arena that isn't specifically related to one party, one person, or is related to a party, but... There's a lot of questions there. This notion of the foundations going to the Hill and doing lobbying, I think there's really two sides of it, that they're lobbying for themselves um, and how they can go about doing their work. But there's also the issues that they're concerned about and and, and trying to push those forward. And I think that 
foundations so often want to be in the background and they're not always out in front of the issues they want their grantees to be. And so I think there's a challenge there that they're sort of now sort of advocating for themselves, which has to be uncomfortable. And then um, there's the lawmakers who have varied understanding of, of how foundations work. And then as they change over and as we see politics going to these more extremes, that means there's new political actors that are perhaps interacting with foundation people for the first time. And so it's got to be awkward (laughs) at least there's catering yeah at least there's catering that's right we we feed people they feel better you hope they're listening and then they take a nap right and then that's when you do your keynote right (laughs) (laughs) but you know it really matters because there's some you know incredible moments where i was thinking about head start today and head start really was a project that had ford foundation investment and that it it proved successful and so then they were able to head start was able to transition the funding of it over to be a public policy matter that then gets implemented and a lot of important work gets done in providing educational opportunities to families and children who really need it so we're what what they talk about matters and so regardless of the awkwardness of the exchange maybe you're listening to field notes in philanthropy the council on foundations a national network of grant making foundations and corporations that is based right outside washington dc is one of the key partners organizing this event vicky sproul is president and ceo of the council on foundations You've joined us to talk about the event and the council's place in this conversation. Vicki, how are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. And thanks for joining us. We also have another guest for the show today, and we'd like to bring into the conversation right from the get-go. That is Dr. Jason Franklin, W.K. Kellogg Chair for Community Philanthropy at the Dorothy A. Johnson Center for Philanthropy at Grand Valley State University. Jason, thanks for joining in. Thanks, Patrick. It's nice to be here. Yeah, And you do a lot of work around how foundations have engaged in social justice advocacy and impacted policymaking. We're going to start out with Vicki. Tell us about the Council on Foundations and the type of foundations and corporations that you work with. Sure, sure. So the Council is the leading national association of about a thousand foundations and grant makers, and we work with foundations of all types and sizes in every community across the country. We also have global members, and they include community foundations, private foundations, and corporate foundations. And we do three things primarily. First, we help to give voice to why philanthropy matters, and we tell the story of philanthropy by sharing and amplifying how philanthropy is addressing some of the nation's greatest challenges. Second, we advocate for tax policy legislation and regulations that encourage charitable giving in this country, a culture of charitable giving. And third, we help strengthen the field by engaging our members, challenging our members to embrace new thinking and approaches, whether that's through professional development opportunities or convenings and gatherings of all types and sizes on both the practice of philanthropy, how they do their work, as well as the issues that their foundations are supporting and are involved with. So when you are encouraging foundations to be active 
in the public sphere. I think that's an important element of um, this podcast and uh, having a conversation about sort of where politics and policy and intersect with philanthropy. You know, what comes to your mind in terms of having engaging on the Hill and really thinking about what are the issues that we see going around in society today? What are some of the, the things that you think about when you're sort of either advocating or um, lobbying on behalf of foundations with policymakers or preparing them to do the advocacy in the policy work. Yeah, so I think I'd like to make a distinction here because this sometimes gets conflated. So first, there's tax policy, which is the business of philanthropy, and that is primarily our focus in in advocating for those policies, and, and there are a number of specific ones. They include things like ensuring that the Johnson Amendment isn't weakened or allowing IRAs to be rolled over to donor-advised funds or advocating for the flattening of the private foundation excise tax or, you know, more broadly pushing for the universal deduction, which is some call it an above-the-line deduction. So those are the pieces that our members, that we support our members in working on, prepare them to come to the Hill around tax policy issues. Then there's an array of, you know, social issues, pretty much every issue under the sun one of our members is is working on, whether it's education or health care or social justice, other issues that are important to them in their communities. And in that case, we are helping members navigate Capitol Hill because we see that much of this work, much of this change, uh, will, goes beyond grant making. And we want, we want our members to be maximizing their impact by engaging themselves in policy work. Otherwise, you know, they're leaving opportunities on the table. So around those specific issues, we are really arming them and helping navigate how to maximize their, their impact. When we think about some of the issues, and I'd bring Jason into this uh, question as well, um, as your work with social justice and, and some of the issues there, you know, I was um, reflecting on today on, on I read, was reading an article about sort of the history of sort of foundation involvement in policy work. And I was looking at a title that was written in, in a newspaper back in the industrial age that said how the title of the article is how foundations will screw up education policy. And then, but I was also remembering that not too long ago, within the last at least year and a half or so, there was a, a title of an article in the Chronicle of Philanthropy, which said how foundations will screw up racial equity and uh, inclusion work. And so I wonder, what is it about foundations and, and when they enter into these spaces, you know, what makes it complicated and, and how do they sort of process it? And how should we as society sort of process their engagement in policy and, and society work? A lot of we have what eighteen hours to talk through this, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, go. Yeah. I mean, when we think about foundation engagement and policy reform, one of the things that's so important to acknowledge is that foundations play an outsized influence in the policy process because compared to donors or corporate funders or others, because they are what I call concentrated sources of social capital. They are endowments that are set up every year to be giving out money to focus on the issues that each foundation is looking at. And so we know year over year, they will continue to be engaged in the same policy. So the Kellogg Foundation has a deep commitment around racial equity. The Ford Foundation's work on social justice. The Hewlett Foundation's work on water policy and ocean protection. You could run down a long list. And they're both very powerful and important actors because they have that enduring focus and the funding tied to that focus that they're engaged in over time. And then we get the concerns. Those articles you mentioned 
are essentially asking and raising a question of what's the power of money in the policy process? We can look more broadly and see the power of political donors in election policy, but stepping back from elections, which foundations are prohibited from engaging in, we can look at the role of foundations in advocacy and in research on issues and the concern about will one major actor mess up, as you said, the issue because they'll get one idea of how to change things and if it's not the best one or the right one or if I disagree with it, I'll think they're doing wrong even if they think they're doing right. And it's fundamentally the question of power and politics and the role of money and power in a political advocacy situation. I think I would extend that too to ask a question around the not only the relationship between foundations and policy making and money, but between foundations and grantees and policy making down the line. I mean, you know, looking at public media, for instance, we're in a public media space right now. There are a number of for profit media companies who've been launching nonprofit wings in the last year or so, uh, thinking about how, uh, you know, journalism should or should not be subject to the whims of capitalism. But part of it, too, is that if an organization like the Gates Foundation, for instance, wants to fund coverage or support coverage of global health, say. They are also experts in the global health space. So how do you both provide money to learn more about global health or support other people out in society learning more about global health while also being experts? And how does that play with lawmakers? How do you both support ocean research off the coast of Florida and also have a good relationship with your lawmakers in Florida. I mean, it's very, none of this is happening in a vacuum of players. Uh, I'd like to pitch in on that one. So, you know, there's a different level of understanding among policymakers. Our experience is that we always find a willingness and maybe even an excitement from politicians regarding their working with foundations. I mean, they they understand that there are these shared priorities. They do see them as experts. They often rely on research that may have been funded by those foundations. You know, they also potentially see them as a as a source of funding. But remember, these elected officials come from communities where often foundations are very well known and are helping to support the number of activities that are that are going on in that community. Now, that doesn't mean though that they fully understand the sector and what it does. And I, I think some of what you're referring to is just sort of this confusion because I do think that historically foundations have been more comfortable letting their grantees do the policy work or funding their grantees to engage more directly in advocacy. And so that can lead to confusion as to, you know, what role does the foundation itself play as a catalyst for change, as a strategic driver of change, in partnership, of course, with that grantee. But I, I think the point I want to make here is that we we want to see foundations, we want to encourage foundations and and philanthropists to use all the tools they have and to themselves to to themselves be at the table. Yeah, and I really agree with Vicky. I'm I'm regularly saying to foundation leaders, you need to be engaged in the policy process. You know, the issues that you care about cannot just be solved by funding direct service. It's also by funding systems change work, which is fundamentally policy work. Whether it be research about the underlying causes of the issue, testing out and funding pilot work that helps explore possible solutions, helping to scale those up, funding your grantees to engage in advocacy, which is completely legal, 
and is often misunderstood of whether you're allowed to or not. You are absolutely allowed to engage in advocacy. And right up until what you're not allowed to do is engage in political electioneering, the election of an individual candidate or contributing or engaging in direct candidate uh, campaign work. But there's so much available for foundations and donors to be engaged. And I think the question and one of the struggles we see today is I think because of the work of the council and others that have been beating this drum for decades of trying to encourage more engagement in policy reform and trying to encourage foundations to be more strategic in thinking about how do they achieve the goals that they've laid out, we have a struggle today about how they relate to their grantees. Who decides and defines the strategy for change? Who articulates the complexity of the advocacy campaign that's going to be taken on? or even the definition of the issue that is being tr- trying to be solved. And foundations have a lot of power because they are the grant maker in that relationship to push forward their strategy. And a really effective grant makers, to me, are those who are able to listen to the feedback from the communities that they're trying to support, the nonprofits that they are funding, and be in conversation and collaborating with them around defining a shared agenda rather than dictating to their grantees what they should be doing. It also goes both ways, having spent... Um actually longer part of my career on the grant receiving side of things, you know, I think it also is up to the to the nonprofit being supported by the foundation to, to really understand the issues and to speak truth to power and to, you know, push back and be a true partner in that strategic design of whatever the plans are for a program. Mm, absolutely. So it goes both ways. You're listening to Field Notes in Philanthropy. So, Ricky, you were talking about how the foundation comes in to the office to talk about an issue, but yet, and they and they are understand foundations as a funder in their local community that's working with local nonprofits. And so, I think foundations pop up in sort of such distinct ways and in many different ways. And there's a range of different types of grant making that they can do and and, and to be getting involved. Yet, they're um, you hear them on NPR, and so they're 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 funding a program, um, and you hear that all the time. And then you think about the local community and how they're they're partnering with all these different local nonprofits. And so, yes, it would be confusing to see a, you know, foundations popping in all these different places. How do how do you have conversations with foundations so that they can sort of help sort that out so that people are not confused, but see that as a strategic opportunity for either the policymaker or for a community? Well, it's, it's, um, it's a hand-in-glove partnership. So, you know, you have, you have the fuel and you have the engine. And the foundation is that strategic driver of change, the fuel to uh, support that engine. And the, the nonprofit or the charity they support is the, both also a strategic partner, but the, the implementer in many cases. Now, we're also sort of bleeding into now um, distinctions among foundations. So we're, in this context, really talking about private foundations. There are, of course, community foundations who, who do both giving of money and raising of money, you know, as m- more like a nonprofit. So it really depends on which kind of foundation you are, are referring to. But I think, generally speaking, we like, you know, to make the distinction, there are the givers, there are the getters, and together you, you, um, you create the change. And both, uh, I think, have an obligation to be strategic partners in the design of whatever program you're working on. And foundations are a lot more than checkbooks. They have, again, this deep expertise. You know, a lot of foundation staff now are people who came from the charitable sector and worked in 
very, you know, issue-specific organizations prior to going to foundations. So I think it's, I, I think sometimes foundations get sold short on the actual intellectual capacity that they bring to an issue. They're, they're again, more, th- more than the checkbook, but the distinction is, is important. Absolutely. So then where is the lawmaker in the car? I guess is the next question. I mean, you can develop a strategy for how you want to accomplish a particular new policy, but we have a vote, but we have a a distant vote in this uh, federal democratic republic, which is multiple levels of governance. So how do do foundations work to kind of build a bridge between nonprofits and lawmakers? Is that a proper role for them? Are they, you know, where's the lawmaker in the car? So I think the lawmaker or the uh, founda- the the foundation's role is to is to showcase the work of the grantees that they are funding, and the, it's the grantees' role to share the specifics of the the execution, the implementation of the work. But it's a it's a hand in glove partnership. To me, it's it. I, I think that what that the charities have been doing this for a long time. I think it's the it's foundations have been maybe slower to maybe own their power in a policy context or to see policy as another tool in the so I'm now changing my metaphor in the toolbox. <laughs> so I think the I think the, the I think toolbox the, is in the trunk of the car. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hand yeah. in glove. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the law the lawmaker is, you know, is providing some oversight over the whole process, over the process of the charitable sector. That's why when I say what what the council works on, we're working on enabling a culture of charitable giving in this country that, that includes both what the foundation does and what foundations enable charitable organizations to do. And I have a new metaphor. Unless we move the goalpost for um, where that line with charitable giving is, right? Because if you think about some of the activities we've seen, like in Detroit, with the buying out of the pensioners, of the using philanthropy to buy out the pensioners um, in the Detroit Grand Bargain, or in Kalamazoo, where they have um, made a philanthropic endowment, a foundation to keep property taxes low. There's just such confusion now between where the role of foundations and philanthropy comes in, and the role of government, and how do we mesh all that? Well. And I, I think this is even more exacerbated today because we are in a new environment where we are expecting individual giving to decrease under the new tax law. We are seeing government funding decreasing on the decline. And you you combine both of those things and, you know, the money's got to Money's got to come from somewhere, and I think nonprofits are also going to be looking to foundations in ways that perhaps they haven't been before if their charitable giving indeed does decrease. And so, so I mean, I think Flint is another great example of this where, you know, and I can tell you because the council is a diverse and varied membership, there are probably as many opinions on this within our membership as there are members. But, you know, what, what was the role of the Mott Foundation in that Flint water crisis? Um, and they absolutely contributed financially, uh, and some would argue that perhaps that was government's role, but, you know, what is a foundation to do when you are an invested part of that community? And, you know, there they did both providing financial support and also working with the governor and others to to really begin to take a look at the long-term systemic issues 
facing that community. So I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, and I think it's up to each foundation to sort of see their way through whatever the challenge is in their community. Um, but you're right that the lines have gotten more blurred. And I think it's an interesting point when we th- talk about the lines blurring today. Another part of the blurring or the shifting um, in the field has been the concentration of wealth and the rise of a new n- major number of major donors, many of whom are establishing new foundations or other giving vehicles to move resources to the nonprofit sector. And many of them jumping straight into social change and policy work very early on, where the historical pattern has been you begin giving, you do direct service, you do arts, you do education, and slowly moving into social change later as you're trying to accelerate or move the needle on your issues. But tied to that and tied to the Michigan examples we've just been talking about is also the variety of philanthropic capital across the country. So Michigan has one of the highest densities of large foundations anywhere in the country. The legacy of the auto industry and the generosity of many of the business owners who built wealth through the auto industry here. You look at California, New York, Washington only because of the Gates Foundation, and then Michigan as the top four states in terms of the assets of the largest foundations. So if you looked at Mississippi, if you looked at Arizona, if you looked anywhere in the country, the question and expectation that foundation money, that philanthropic capital will be the, the response mechanism for natural disaster is actually really problematic. There are not foundations like the Mott Foundation in every small city able to respond to the water crisis as they did in Flint. Mott Foundation is a billion-dollar foundation in a small city. A water crisis happened, and they made a $100 million commitment to help turn that around. We cannot expect philanthropy to step in in that way all over the country, and so it still remains the duty of government to address both natural and man-made disasters Philanthropy, when it is there and when it is present at scale, absolutely has a moral responsibility to jump in. But we have to be careful as we talk about national patterns not to get distracted by the variety that we see state to state or community to community. The water did flow into the Mott Foundation offices. (laughs) (laughs) That raises really interesting questions, having a conversation around what happens in a local jurisdiction when there is a foundation in the area and there is some sort of crisis versus what happens in places where there aren't you know, major foundations in local areas. But then how, you know, when we think about, oh, policymaking, we often immediately jump to the federal questions, the federal levels. How are we talking to senators and, you know, members of Congress? But there's a great deal of governing, obviously, that goes on at the state level. And so how do you balance philanthropy where it is majorly impactful in a state versus in states where there is none? I mean, does does philanthropy have an impact on policy in Louisiana? I have no idea. So I'm going to start this, but Jason, with your expertise in community philanthropy in particular, I think this one is really tailor-made for you. But I think this is where we have to really point to the power of community foundations who often serve as conveners in those communities to bring together the private sector, the public sector, other national philanthropies who partner with community foundations. So, you know, this isn't as though, so you can have the, the Ford Foundation working in communities all across the country in partnership with either other place-based foundations in that community or community foundations in that community. Um, so I, you know, I, I wouldn't want to suggest that, so while I agree with what Jason said, that there are communities where there are no large private foundations, that doesn't mean that the philanthropic 
community may not be serving that community because there are, you know, wonderful partnerships and leveraging of resources happening all across the country on these issues that transcend geographic boundaries like health care and education and social justice. Absolutely. I mean, we see community foundations and private foundations and corporate foundations and corporate giving programs engaged in policy change in every community across the country, urban and rural, coastal and Midwest, and South, large communities, small communities. The engagement on policy issues is consistent. The type of engagement looks different. So community foundations play a very unique and powerful role in many communities as being a both fundraiser and grant maker and a convener of community conversations and increasing conversation across the field about the role of community leadership, magnifying the impact of your grant making with your role as a leader and a convener and to have a conversation. And to step back a little bit, some consistent patterns. So one of the things you had uh, mentioned earlier, like how do foundations engage in policy change? So I looked at over 2,000 cases of foundation engagement and policy change across the country um, from 1969 to the present day. Narrow down, look in depth at you know 20 different cases from health, environment, community, and economic development, education, and we actually see very similar patterns, regardless of size, regardless of issue, regardless of ideology. The role of foundations as credibility enhancers. One of the big things that happens if a foundation gives you a grant, you're seen by other community leaders as more credible because somebody vetted you and said, yes, you are worth engaging with. The acceleration, the movement acceleration, here's new money, go do more, do bigger. The capacity building to strengthen their ability to get their message out, the building of networks that they're able to do by bringing together their, grant, their grantees and others in the community, and then somewhat problematically, their capacity to be an issue channeler to say, we're going to go in this direction rather than that one for an issue. So take school choice as a good example, where you had funders engaged in many patterns around school choice, two big ones, vouchers and charters. Funders really backed the charter movement. The charter movement has exploded across the country. Vouchers haven't been as vibrant an option in the school choice movement, in part because they haven't had the same resources to get their message out there. So there's some interesting kind of roles that foundations play across any issue that we look at. And you talk about consistency. Organizations feed off of consistency. That's how most organizations become successful. But if we take a look at that policymaker in the car, <laughs> that phase changes, right? Mm -hmm. There's turnover at the federal level. Here in Michigan, we have term limits. Mm -hmm. And the ideologies change as well. So are we seeing trends? Because you just mentioned some of the data that you were exploring are we seeing changes today kind of in, in that arena when we talk about term limits and ideology, or has that pretty much been baked in all along, or are there new challenges that need to be addressed? Well, I'll, I'll dive in here, and then Vicki, curious to hear your okay. reactions too, that yep. part of what makes foundations so powerful is that they are consistent. They will be here year in, year out. They're not going to get replaced through an election. And the core ideologies and the core strategies of foundations despite strategic shifts, tend to be somewhat consistent as well. So building a focus and building a community of practice, supporting a community of grantees and nonprofit leaders to be focusing on an issue is actually how issues move forward as the elected leaders change. And the strategy that they use will shift. You've got a supportive elective leader, now you're an ally and conversation, how do we move this together? 
they get beaten by somebody from the other side and now you're in opposition, how do you push back? How do you limit their abilities? How do you find some common ground to still work together if you don't see eye to eye? Another election happens, another ideological shift, the same nonprofits, the same foundations are working in the same community year over year, decade over decade. And so really actually serve as another place for community voice within our policy arena separate from the electoral cycle. So educational lobbying takes place in some mm -hmm. ways. Well, and I, I just want to really underscore, too, what, what Jason just said, because philanthropy is really the long game. And so I think it, there is that sort of focus on the systemic root causes of problems for the long haul. And so philanthropy provides that perspective in spite of these ideological shifts. That doesn't mean they, as he said, don't have to adjust, but they're looking at longer term time horizons, which corporations don't always have the benefit of doing and politicians certainly don't have the benefit of doing. Although I will say and this is one of the interesting things in the last few years, the pace of policy change is accelerating and the polarization is magnifying. We are, many commentators have said, living in one of the most polarized political times in American history. And the pace of change, largely because of digital technology and the mobilizing tools that are out there, is also accelerating. So it has presented an interesting challenge, and I know we don't have time in this podcast to dive into it, for foundations and grant makers to think about how do you fund at the pace of modern-day social change. Foundations have been the long game. They have been yep. around capacity building and field building. But there's increasing moments in conversation today about rapid response giving. How do you move some money within days or weeks rather than weeks and months? Because as the pace of change accelerates, the actual patterns of grant making also have to shift to keep up and remain relevant. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that even among new investors who may or may not be new philanthropists, who may or may not even call themselves philanthropists and may or may not even create foundations who are giving in the in the short term, to keep this comparison going, um, giving in the short term and expecting results more quickly than perhaps the long game would would allow. I think this conversation is really interesting. Yeah, it is. And it really gives kind of um, sort of helps us understand like the rationale for both of your positions, right? Both from a research perspective and from a capacity building or an infrastructure role that these are folks that perhaps don't always think, you know, want education or, or need to learn, but there's an actual practice here in terms of how to move an issue forward, when to exit from an issue, what's the right amount of pressure to put on either your grantees or on policymakers, and when's it time to not put any more? And so I think that's um, why this is such a fascinating conversation, and to have two experts here that are coming at it from slightly different angles is really important to, to understand that this is happening in the background in every community in the country. Vicki Sproul, President and CEO of Council on Foundations, thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm. Uh, this was this was a wonderful conversation. Could have gone all at, on after, all afternoon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Dr. Speaking. Jason Franklin, W.K. Kellogg Chair for Community Philanthropy at the Dorothy A. Johnson Center for Philanthropy, Grand Valley State University. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you. For field notes in philanthropy, I'm Tori Martin, and I'm Matthew Downey, and I'm Patrick Center. Thank you. Field Notes in Philanthropy is a partnership of WGVU Public Media, the Dorothy A. Johnson Center for Philanthropy, and Grand Valley State University. Our technical producer is Rick Beerling. Joe Moran composed our theme music. 
The views and opinions expressed on Field Notes in Philanthropy do not necessarily reflect those of WGVU, the Dorothy A. Johnson Center for Philanthropy, or Grand Valley State University. What time is it? I feel like we knocked that one, you know, out. I feel like we've been here all day. Oh. Are we still recording in case Patrick says something funny about Zeus?